All right, thanks, Andrew. Um, thank you guys for, for jumping on this call. I look forward to, uh, to these conversations, talking about these players. It's, uh, uh, it's my favorite time of the year. Uh, as we go to the combine, get a chance to see the entire draft class together assembled in one place. It's, it's always a lot of fun. It was great uh, going on the team side of things and, and having a blast here on the, on the media side of things. When I look at this draft, kind of big picture, and then we'll start getting rolling on these questions, um, to me it's all about big guys. Premier talent and depth at the defensive line position, inside, outside. It's outstanding, and it carries deep into the draft. And offensive line-wise, while there's not a, a premier guy, you know, somebody that's a top-five lock that we've seen in some previous years, I think it's a really, really good group, especially once you get to the middle of the first round, probably all the way to the middle of the third, uh, around the fourth-round range. Really good offensive line. And then tight end-wise, one of the better tight end drafts we've had in a while with, with premier top-end guys as well as a lot of depth uh, all the way through. Uh, the linebacker position would probably be the thinnest uh, inside linebacker position when you're looking at where it's a little bit light. I don't know if there's quite the same talent or depth um, at that position, so that would uh, kind of give you a look at the class there. And then quarterback-wise, two of the more intriguing guys, um, when you look at, at Kyler Murray and Dwayne Haskins, and then three other guys that I think are jostling for position. We talk about Drew Locke from Missouri, Daniel Jones from Duke, and uh, in Finley from NC State. So it'll be fun to watch all those guys compete in Indianapolis. And with that, uh, we can get rolling here. I'll take some questions. If, if Bryce Harper signs with the Padres, please be sure to update me. Hey, Daniel, I'll start with a question about one of those big guys. Um, perception of, of Ed Oliver's stock might be slightly down from the, the start of the college football season. How much would a, a strong combine performance maybe cause another recalibration of his value? And if if Ed's there at number eight, would he make less sense for the Lions compared to maybe, say, uh, Rashawn Gary, given Detroit's emphasis on playing that gap control front? Yeah, thanks for the question. It's good to hear from you. The uh, Starting with Ed Oliver, um, look, he's he is so dynamic and so explosive, and I it's frustrating to watch him because they play him a lot head up over the center. And uh, you talk to some D-line coaches, and you have an athlete like that, you know, say, why would you line him up blocked? You know, let him get in a gap and let him get upfield where he can use that quickness and, and really be disruptive. Um, I think he'll benefit kind of from a move to that three technique full time, park him in there and let him go. Um, some people, some teams believe they can put him outside and and uh, and stand him up and and see kind of could this be a Melvin Ingram type player uh, for the Chargers on the edge. So he got some versatility to move around there. Um, in terms of the Lions, how they would use him. Um, I, I, I think that's becoming less and less of a thing. Um, you know, I, I think there's so much of a premium in the quick passing game in the league right now that even some of these traditional, you know, two-gap teams, hold-the-point teams, you've got to find somebody that can get some penetration inside because they're finding ways to somewhat neutralize uh, what you're doing off the edge. The ball is just out. You can't get home. Um, so even some of those traditional teams, I think, are trying to, they're trying to make it work with somebody that's maybe a little bit undersized. Um, you know, Rashawn Gary, obviously much bigger, uh, much bigger guy. But I think I view Gary as kind of an end. You know, I, I don't really want Gary in there two gapping either. I'd want to split him out wide and let him rush. So um, I don't know that either one's a perfect scheme fit there. Um, but I, I think you, you just try and find somebody that can be disruptive and, and kind of craft that role around their skills.
Thank you. Our next question is coming from Alex Ayington of Montgomery Advisor. Your line is now open. Hello, Daniel. Hey, how's it going? Uh, hey, it's going good. I wanted to ask you about a couple Alabama players real quick. Um, first off, I noticed you know you had Josh Jacobs, number one running back. That seems to be consensus, but you have him as a top five pick. I guess what value, you know, what makes him kind of that high of a value pick? And then Max Wilson, you had him late in the first round. What, what does he have to do at the combine, whether in meetings or, you know, um, in drills that uh, solidifies him a number one, a first round pick? Sure. Um, yeah, I think you're referencing like a, a mock draft from a while ago. Um, and I just okay. updated just updated the uh, my top 50, which is kind of what I think of the players. It's hard to defend the mock mock draft because we're all just throwing darts at a board to see what's you know guessing what's going to happen. But in terms of Josh Jacobs, I think I have him as my sixth overall player. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of his, and, and one of the reasons, one of the knocks on him, and he doesn't get a lot of touches at Alabama or as many as you would like because it's so crowded there. But I think if you gave the league a do-over on Alvin Kamara, whose touches are almost identical to Josh Jacobs, we'd see Alvin Kamara go in the top 10, top 15 if we were to redraft that year. So if that's the only concern you have about him, I don't have any concern about the fact he's got vision, he runs with power, he can make you miss, he can catch the ball out of the backfield, he can block. There's really nothing he can't do. So the knock on him is that he doesn't have touches. I can spin that and say that's a – that's a good thing. You know, there's still plenty of tread on his tires. So that's why I have him where I have him. And then Mac Wilson, Mac Wilson dropped a little bit on my list. I thought his play kind of trailed off um, down the year, uh, at the end of the year. He's somebody that has all the athletic ability in the world. Um, he's just, you know, we'll see at the combine. Can he have a great workout and kind of try and recapture a little bit of the momentum I think he might have lost there uh, at the end of the year? Thanks, Sam. Thank you. Our next question is coming from D. Orlando Ledbetter of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Your line is now open. Uh, yes, Daniel. Um, where do you have Montez uh, Sweat going from Mississippi State? He's a Georgia, original Georgia kid from Atlanta. And then where do you see the Falcons at 14 in your latest mock? I got Ed Oliver in the last one I could pull up. Sure. Uh, starting with Montez, you know, Montez is – I mean, that's how you want to draw up a defensive end, I and mean, that's what you want him to look like. He is tall and long and explosive. Uh, we got a chance to see him up close there at the, at the Senior Bowl. got a unique ability to be able to bend and wrap at the top of his rush once he gets to the very top to be able to flatten to the quarterback. I mean, you can watch the, you know, the Auburn game. He just completely takes, takes it over in terms of, of just abusing that tackle. Um, he's got big-time big time get-off and burst now. I wish he would get a little bit stronger. In the run game, he can get too high at times and, and can get pushed around. Um, but I think he's, you know, in terms of which specific team, I think he's going to be a top 20 pick. He's going to be in the mix for all those teams that are looking for edge rushers. Um, you know, how early does that start? I mean, probably, I would say probably around 8 with Detroit is where that conversation could begin. Uh, I could see Green Bay at 12 being a fit. Um, Carolina at 16 would make some sense. Those are a couple spots um, where I could see him uh, really fitting in. And what was the, who was the other player that you're asking about? Uh, the Falcons at 14. Yeah. Yeah, Falcons. You know, it could go in a lot of different directions. Um, to me, you look in the secondary uh, could be a place they could go. I think there's some real interesting corners. Who you know, I don't really have a top 10 pick type corner, but that's about the range you could see some corners start to come off the board, and they might not have to go far. 
you know, for a guy like DeAndre Baker, who I think can play inside, outside, has, has got outstanding uh, ball skills and awareness, he would uh, he would make some sense. Thanks, Daniel. No problem. Have a good day. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Rich Campbell of Chicago Tribune. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel. Thank you so much for doing this. Just a general philosophical question for you on team building. That is, what are your beliefs about potentially using a draft pick on a kicker? <laughs> I would say I'm against it, <laughs> simply. Um, you know, early on, I should say. When you get into uh, day three, you know, I, I think at that point in time you can you can go for it. Last year was unique in terms of the punter situation with Dixon, who was a unique unique guy. I would I would feel more comfortable in believing in a punter um, a little bit earlier. The place kicker is just I don't know, man. It, it to me I, I've, I've seen it crash and burn, and I, I would I wouldn't want to use a, a high resource on a place kicker. I'd rather I'd rather you know, draft one in the sixth or seventh round, bring in a free agent, and I've seen it more times than not. The odds are no different on that late round pick versus that free agent of who's going to end up winning that that competition. So I think what happened in Tampa probably spooked a lot of people around the league. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Paul Domowicz of Philadelphia, Inquirer and Daily News. Your line is now open. Yeah, hi, DJ. I uh, wanted to ask you about Sharif Miller, the defensive end from Penn State. What are your thoughts on him, and uh, what is going to be the most important aspect of this combine for him? Yeah, I mean, to me, it's just about, you know, athleticism, his ability to, to change direction, how how explosive and athletic is he. You know, I thought the effort and chase is outstanding. He's great just stacking tight ends. He can push the pocket. Um, I see some power. I want to see, you know, just how how athletic he is and some of the change of direction things. That'll be the, you know, the area where I think he could help himself a little bit. Right now, I have him more kind of in that four or five round range. Um, so, you know, it'll be big for him just from an athletic standpoint to see what he looks like. Thanks, DJ. No problem. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Nate Ulrich of Akron Beacon Journal. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel. Thanks for your time. Um, in terms of the Browns at, at number 17, obviously they could go many ways, so I kind of wanted to narrow it down and give you this scenario. With Greg Robinson stepping in for the last half of the season and, and playing pretty well, um, what do you think they should do left tackle? He's going to be unrestricted free agent. Um, would it be wise for them, in your opinion, to bring him back, or do you think they need to make a, a, a move with a, a first-round left tackle? Well, trust me, nobody's happier to see him playing well than me, and I'm sure a lot of other folks who had high draft grades on him. So hopefully that's a nice kick save that <laughs> he kind of get things going uh, because we know the ability has always been there at just getting the performance to match the ability. So um, that's definitely an option for him. We'll see what the free agency uh, holds there for him. In terms of, of you know what could be there, what they could do, you know, I, you can look at it defensively and look at some of the numbers and look at some of the holes and say, okay, they, they've got to go on the defensive side of the ball. But, man, if, if to me, if, if Dillard is there, who I think is the premier pass-protecting left tackle, um, that would be hard to pass up at that point in time. So that would be one I would, I would definitely have an eye on. Um, and the big kid from Florida, too, is, is very, very talented, um, who, who could make some sense, although you're probably – feel a little bit more comfortable with him on the uh, on the right side there. So 
that, that'll be a, a big decision for them to make. Do they go where they have some holes on that defensive side, uh, or, or do they go ahead and look at that tackle? Jawan Taylor was uh, was the one from Florida I was talking about. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Patrick Finley of Chicago Sun-Times. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel. Uh, no update on Bryce Harper quite yet. Uh, <laughs> question, in terms of a pass-catching uh, running back or, or somebody who's got a little bit of versatility there, who do you see in the third round or later, somebody uh, perhaps the Bears could focus in on? Yeah, it's interesting. I was just going through this the other day and, and kind of looking at guys, uh, you know, pass production for these running backs and, yeah, as you can imagine, there's a lot. There's not a lot there. Um, so these guys don't catch a ton of balls. There's a you know, a kid from Washington State has a ton of production. James Williams, I think he had 83 catches, uh, but he's a little bit later on down the list for me. I've seen enough from Miles Sanders that uh, it wouldn't shock me if he, you know, maybe even if he works out great, he could climb his way all the way into the into the second round. But because there's so many names of running backs. He's somebody I could see kind of in that third-round range would be a nice sweet spot for him. Um, uh, Bryce Love is somebody who didn't catch a ton of balls, but I think there's going to be a little bit of a discount on him because of the injury, and I think he does have some of the traits you'd look for that could uh, could develop into that type of a role. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Matt Lombardo. Your line is now open. Of New Jersey Advance, your line is now open. Do you have Tyler Murray ahead of Dwayne Haskins? I'm just curious uh, what separates the two, in your opinion, and what you think the Giants might be thinking at number six. Yeah, the uh, it's it's polar opposites with these quarterbacks, with those top two guys for me. Um, and I, I started out with Haskins ahead of Kyler Murray, prototypical size for Haskins, you know, pure pocket passer, can make every throw, um, really turned it on late in the year, which was good to see. Um, the concern a little bit there was just the immobility, uh, be able to kind of get himself out of trouble if he if he gets under some heat, being able to move off of his spot and be consistent and be accurate. Um, that was my concern with him. Kyler Murray, my hang-up were, were really two. One was, uh, you know, his commitment, his focus on football. You know, was that going to be there? I think it's impossible for a quarterback to juggle two sports, um, even just leaving the possibility open-ended. I don't know how a team could have taken him in the first round if he didn't completely um, eliminate baseball from the conversation, and that's what it sounds like he's done. So that took care of the first concern for me, and the second concern was the the bulk. You know, I didn't know how much this guy weighed. Here, all these different numbers thrown around during the fall. Some some folks told me he's going to be 185, 183 pounds, and that to me was a major concern, just durability wise. I don't know if he can hold up at that size. That's a, that's a major issue for me, and then. The information I've been given, I think Peter King even wrote about it today, was that he was up to 206 pounds. So I don't know what he played at in the fall. He played at 195, you know, 198, 200, I have no idea. But if he shows up and he's over 200 pounds and carries that well, that helps with some of the durability. Um, Kyler can make every single throw. He can drive the ball. You know, on the, Those whole shots against cover two on the sideline between the corner and the safety, that's a big boy throw. Uh, he makes those effortlessly. So he's got plenty of arm strength. I've seen him work through progressions. You see it more with Dwayne, uh, but I've seen Kyler Murray show that he can do that. And then the X factor is just, you know, when he takes off, it's it's electric. So that to me was kind of the tiebreaker. I think Kyler Murray can do a lot of the things that Dwayne Haskins can do throwing the football. 
but then Kyler has that extra element with what he can do athletically. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Ben Jones of the Tuscaloosa News. Your line is now open. Alabama's obviously had a lot of success bringing back some players who might have been on the fringe of whether or not to come out in recent years. Do uh, you think there's any players from Alabama that maybe would have been better served going back to school for one more year this cycle? Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, they have so many guys to kind of to go through. I would say the one that I, I don't think Deontay Thompson finished up the season the way you'd want to finish it up. Uh, that Clemson game, there was you know, put a lot of doubt in some people's minds. You know, can can he really run? Um, that was a concern there. I, I thought he kind of had some some big games early on in the season where you got really excited about him. I want to say Ole Miss was one of those, but I thought he would have been one. Maybe go back, get a little bit stronger. Um, and then you go from being in that, you know, I have him. I have him kind of in the mid to late second round range. Um, he goes back to school and gets a little bit stronger and a little bit more consistent um, as a tackler, as well as as just making some more plays down the stretch. I think you're talking about somebody that's a first round lock next year. So that would be one I thought maybe could have benefited from going back. Thank you. Our next question is coming from. Eric Dilalia of DenverBroncos.com. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel. Uh, saw you had Devin White as a possible fit for the Broncos there in your first mock. How do you envision him potentially fitting into a Vic Fangio defense, and could he be that kind of impact player that Roquan Smith was for Fangio in year one last year? Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of the uh, that's the format. That's the blueprint for how you would use him. And, uh, man, i tell you what, one of the things this year – Get a chance to to do the Charger games uh, for the radio throughout the season, and getting to see a bunch of different teams around the league. When you have a when you have linebackers that can't cover, a it's a liability, and you you will get picked on uh, repeatedly. Um, it is tough to hide out there when you have a linebacker that can't cover. So to me, you start right there. He's going to be able to run and cover and help match up against some of the better tight ends and even some of these backs. How they're using the passing game. That's a huge asset. And then Vic is a way he can cut him loose as a blitzer, too. And he's outstanding, not only kind of blitzing inside, but coming off the edge. He's got a good feel. He's got real strong hands. Um, so I think he could be a, he'd be a big-time difference maker uh, there for the Broncos. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from John Crick of Toronto Sun. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel. Asking you about the four Canadians who took part in the All-Star Games in January to see if they have any draft chance. Uh, Morris Simba, the tackle from Concordia. Matthew Betts, the defensive end from Laval. The defensive end from University of Calgary, Joel, Joel Van Pelt. And then Alexander Savard, a receiver from Laval. Yeah, the only the only one of those I've done work on so far is Betts. And, uh, you know, he's got, some, he's got some intriguing upside as a pass rusher. Um, getting a chance there to see him down there at the east-west and then doing a little bit of work, getting my hands on whatever tape I could get. Um, he's got real natural feel as a rusher. He's able to kind of use some leverage and get underneath tackles, and uh, he's got a nice little second move once he gets stoned. So he's somebody that's intriguing. I, I think he's on the radar of NFL teams as a, a potential draftable guy late. Um, if not, then a priority free agent. But uh, that's the one of the bunch that I've done I will eventually get to the rest of them, I promise you. Thanks a bunch. Thank you. 
Our next question is coming from Kyle Martin of Raiders.com. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel. How's it going, man? Uh, quick question. You said earlier that this is a very deep uh, defensive line class. Which players fit best for the Raiders? And knowing Mike Mayock personally, which kind of talent stands out to him the most? Uh, great question. Great question. I mean, there are so many defensive linemen, I think, that would fit and, and make sense for them. And uh, we've talked about kind of the top-end guys at the beginning of the first round. You know, the Raiders have those picks in the bottom of the first round. So if they don't take one early, I still think there are some real intriguing players for them uh, to keep an eye on there late in the 20s. One name I'll throw out to you is, is L.J. Collier from TCU who I think you're going to see continue to kind of get more notoriety and attention as we go through the process. He's, you know, in terms of what Mike would be looking for, know how much he values kind of, you know, strength, toughness, power, effort. Um, those are the things that Mike's always talked about for a long time, as long as I've known him. And you see LJ Collier, he's got a nasty little shake bowl move. He's got quick hands. He can convert speed to power. Um, he can play a little bit inside. He can play outside. He's got some versatility that way. So he would be one, I think, kind of in the bottom of one. Uh, Jalen Ferguson is another one with real heavy hands who's kind of, to me, a little bit of a poor man's Chandler Jones. Uh, he's got unbelievable production when you look at it. I think he led the nation in sacks. So uh, he's another one I think you kind of keep an eye on there uh, at the end there in that, in that uh, end of the first round where they've got some options. So they can go in a lot of different ways. You know, early on with that first pick, um, you know, if somehow, some way, We've seen it happen before. I, I remember having Leonard Williams as a top player in that year's draft, and he fell to six. Who knows? Maybe uh, maybe Mike hits the lottery and, and uh, Nick Bosa falls right in their lap. We'll have to wait and see. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Bob Condota of Seattle Times newspaper. Your line is now open. Uh, hey, Daniel. Yeah, just, just curious, um, the Seahawks at 21, you talk about defensive line, obviously that seems like an area of need for them, but curious if you agree that that would be a good uh, good spot for them, and I know you just mentioned a few guys, but if you see anybody else you think might specifically fit the Seahawks. Yeah, I mean, look, they're always going to be, you know, Pete Carroll's always going to be looking for long and, uh, and real, real athletic, explosive edge guys, so you know, Montez Sweat, if somehow he were to fall down to that range, would, would make some sense. Brian Burns um, from Florida State, who has got probably, uh, you know, one of the top two or three get-offs, you know, just his burst off the line. He can really bend at the top of his rush. I just wanted to see him, you know, a little bit stronger, be able to convert that speed into power a little bit more. Um, but I think that's about the range of the draft where you'll start to see him uh, get mentioned in that conversation. Um, Ja'Kai Polite doesn't really fit from a, uh, you know, tall, long perspective. But if you look at, at Seattle with, with Bruce Irvin's success uh, early on there, I think Ja'Kai Polite kind of could fill that role. It's just a real, real dynamic, explosive kid off the edge. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Jordan Rodrigue of Charlotte Observer. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel, thanks so much for doing this today, um, and I've appreciated your, your work leading up to this combine. Um, so where the Carolina Panthers are concerned, it does seem they're going to be in a pretty solid spot to grab a good pass rusher at 16. As we know them, that they're getting more multiple than ever um, up front, what guys specifically would be the best fit for them as they go in that direction? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, in terms of being multiple and being able to do a lot of different things, 
coming off the edge. You know, I, I don't know where the limits are when you look at Montez Sweat, just in terms of athletically and all the different things he could do. Um, to me, he would make a lot of sense there. Cleveland Farrell is not uh, is not quite that as versatile, but he's somebody that he just he's such a skilled rusher um, that I, I think he would be a good fit for for what they're looking for there. And that's kind of the sweet spot. That's right around the range for him. Um, you're just going to get with Sweat, you get a little bit better athlete. With Farrell, you're going to get a little more power, a little more strength, and a little bit better against the run. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Mike K of NJ.com. Your line is now open. Hey, DJ. Thanks for doing this. Um, I know you talked about Jacobs earlier, but how does this running back class stack up to the last two years? And for the Eagles, who would be the best two or three fits, given the way they look at the running back position? Yeah, I mean, I, look, I, there, to me, there's there's not a, uh, you know, there's not a Saquon Barkley who is just so rare, um, and not a Leonard Fournette, you know, in terms of some of those guys that have been picked way high. I, I love Jacobs. To me, he's the one guy that's, that, that you feel great about turning, I would feel great about turning in the card in the first round. After that, though, there's a lot of depth once you get in that second, third round range, and when you look for some fits uh, for, for Philadelphia, and I've always placed a, a premium on being able to create explosive plays. Um, so to me, I look at a guy, you know, you look at Daryl Henderson from Memphis, who's just got tremendous top speed and juice. Um, he's somebody that you know, can score from anywhere on the field. He's a little bit tight, um, but he'd be an interesting one. Devin Singletary, to me, is I have him as the second best back. And actually, for a comparison, I wrote down he's got a little Shady McCoy to him. So he can make you miss. He does a great job of, in tight quarters. I mean, he can be in a hallway and you can't get a finger on him. Uh, just a real loose, a nice little nifty jump cut that he uses. And I don't know he has that big-time, big-time top speed, but we saw some of those same comments made about LaShawn when he was coming into the draft, and we know how that, how that worked out. So those are two of the guys I think would be pretty intriguing for the Eagles. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Dave Brickett of Detroit Free Press. Your line is now open. Hey, DJ. Thanks for the call. Uh, you hit on just about every first-round pass rusher, I think, but uh, I just do have one more <laughs> feral question for you. What, what's his ceiling as a sack guy? I mean, can he be a double-digit sack guy in the NFL, or is he is he a little more limited than some, than some of the other you know top edge rushers, I guess? Well, I mean, what, one of the things that I love about Farrell is he never stops, and that to me is the most underrated trait in a pass rusher is persistence. When you see guys, you can talk about speed and power and hands and their ability to bend, all that stuff, uh, but there's also every year when you watch the sack tape of the of the top pass rushers, they collect four or five. They're just pure effort and just never stopping, and I think you're going to get some of those from Farrell. I, I think he can be, uh, you know, if you want to put a number on it, I don't think he's going to be a, you know, 14, 15, 16 sack guy, but I think he can be a really, really good, you know, 10 to 12 sack guy who's going to also hold up in the run um, and not going to have to come off the field. And and to me, that's uh, that's pretty valuable. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Suzanne Halliburton of Austin American Statement. Your line is now open. Hey, I wanted to ask you, I know your um, top 50 is loaded with defensive linemen, offensive linemen. It, would it be a reach on very many of these skilled players if some teams are saying this is who we need? 
I mean, are there not that many available this year? And specifically, I also wanted to ask about how Will Greer could fit into that. I'm sorry, I, didn't, I just didn't hear the last part. What was it? Oh, on Will Greer, if he could be one of the quarterbacks who could slip into the first round. Okay. Yeah, I, I'll start work backwards. Um, I don't think uh, Will Greer will get into the first round. I think, uh, you know, for me, I, I see him kind of more in that you know, middle round range. Um, he does not have kind of a wow trait. He's a good all-around player, uh, but there's just there's nothing that's going to wow you in terms of an you know an arm strength standpoint, uh, ability to really kind of create, which we've seen become a little bit more important at that position uh, recently, um, and then really kind of nitpicky. But to me, just he he took a lot of sacks when you watch him. I just want to see him be a little more decisive and get the ball out of his hand. He is very accurate, has good touch at all three levels. Um, but I want to see him just, just get the ball out, not take so many sacks, and he just doesn't have that wow trait, in my opinion, to put him in that discussion. When you look at skill players, you know, I think that wide receiver-wise, you have two that uh, that I believe will go in the first round. Even with the foot injury, I think Marquise Brown will still go in the first round. D.K. Metcalf is going is to go in the first round. After that, it's become kind of a flavor thing. You know, we talk about receivers – being like a basketball team, you know, what kind of, if you have big guys, okay, maybe you're looking for, you know, a little more explosive player, smaller player. You have small guys, you want a bigger guy, you need a slot guy. It's whatever you're looking for. There's all kinds of flavors. And I think you'll see a bunch of those skilled players roll off the board, second, third, fourth round. There'll be a boatload of them. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Bill Rabinowitz of the Columbus Dispatch. Your line is now open. Yes, Daniel. Um, what are your thoughts on Ashton Doolin, the wide receiver from Division II Malone that just dropped its program? And, and which of the 10 Ohio State players do you believe really has the most approved, approved this week in Indianapolis? Is there, is there one or two that have really caught your eye beyond Bosa and Haskins? Yeah, I mean, starting with Ohio State, to me, um, I, I'm anxious. The guy I'm anxious to see more than anybody else, um, you just go to the wide receiver position. McLaurin's fun to watch, but Paris Campbell, to me, a, what's he going to run? Because I've heard nothing, you know, but how explosive he is, and you can see it when you watch the tape. Uh, but doesn't run a variety of routes. His hands are a little bit inconsistent. So I want to see him, you know, catch the ball. That's one thing I'll be looking for from him. Um, but man, he's going to put on a show once he gets uh, once he gets on the forty line. And then were you asking about uh, Ashton Doolin from Malone? Is that what yeah. you're asking about? Yeah. He's, yes. Yeah. Look, to me, he's a late round guy. Um, he's fun to watch. A lot of fly sweeps. You see him, you know, as a punt returner. He's not real sudden, but he breaks tackles. He's tough. He has some kind of wild diving catches um, when you study him. I, I kind of put him in that range. It's like a practice squad grade is the best way I can equate it. And some guys will value that sixth, seventh round. Others might view it as a, as a free agent. But I think he's somebody definitely has some redeeming qualities you can work with. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Tommy Birch of Des Moines Register. Your line is now open. Hey, a uh, couple of Iowa State guys I was wondering about, Akeem Butler and David Montgomery. Akeem Butler seems to be kind of all over the map as maybe slipping into the first round. Is there anything he can do during the combine to, I guess, move himself really into that first-round conversation? And then what are you kind of looking for from David Montgomery? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll start with, uh, with Butler. I mean, he's got rare size and length, and he has some circus catches uh, you know, as you know, when you study him, his catch radius is ridiculous. He's outstanding down in the red zone. 
you know, the concerns, you know, a little bit of kind of a long strider, a little bit plotting as a runner. When you get to the top of your route, can he get in and out? It's tough. You know, there's a reason why we don't see that many six foot six wide receivers in, in the NFL. It's tough to get in and out of your break at that size. So that's going to be something he can display at the combine. You know, can he can he drop his weight and can he get in and out of the break um, smoothly? That's going to be kind of his his question mark. And we'll see what his top end speed is. You know, he's he's one of those guys. It's tricky because he really gains ground with that long stride. He might end up being faster than uh, than a lot of people expect. Um, I don't have him in that first round range, but I think he's somebody that again he answers some of those questions at the combine uh, with his ability to get in and out. He can uh, he can move up a little bit. And then Montgomery is. He is just fun to watch. He's one of my favorite players in this draft. I, I go back through my list, and I've got, gosh, I think 365 players done, and I try and go through and highlight four or five guys at every position, and I just kind of like, these are my kind of guys. These guys, you know, if you're running a team, I'd want somebody like this, um, the way they play the game with the, the passion, the toughness, um, there's just something about him. I'd want him on my team. And David Montgomery is one of those guys for me. I, he's a third, my third running back. Vision, patience, stop-start quickness. Um, he's he's got a lot of natural instincts as a runner. And as a pass protector, you know he'll miss some cut blocks. That's an area he can continue to improve and get better. Uh, but to me, if he's if he's fully healthy and and gets the you know passes everything he needs to pass from that standpoint. Uh, I think he's a no-brainer as a second-round pick, and I think he'll be a day-one starter. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Susan Miller-Degman of Miami Herald. Your line is now open. Hi there. University of Miami has six players invited to the combine. we got tackle, defensive tackle Willis, defensive end Joe Jackson, cornerback Michael Jackson, safeties Jaquan Johnson and Sheldrick Redwine, and running back Travis Homer. Who do you believe will be drafted and about when? And are you looking forward to seeing any of them? And just an assessment. Yeah, sure. Um, kind of go through them. Uh, a couple of them I'll, I'll highlight here. Uh, when you look at, at the pass rusher, to me, he's, he's just a, a big, strong power rusher. I'm looking at where I have him here. I have him kind of in that third-round range, Joe Jackson. Um, he can, he's got uh, tremendous power. He's got a little nifty little uh, dip move coming off the edge, flashes some speed. I wrote down he's a bully, and I mean that in the nicest uh, way possible. Uh, but he's got to win early. He doesn't really have a second move once he gets engaged. It's going to be all power uh, from that standpoint. So just kind of developing a counter move will be big for him. But I kind of view him in that third-round range. The two safeties, I've had so many conversations with teams, and this is a question that comes up all the time. Who, who would you rather have? Would you rather have Jaquan Johnson or Redwine, uh, both Miami safeties and a little different skill sets with them? And uh, so I was excited to watch them, and I ended up watching them. I gave them the exact same grade, and so I, I now realize why teams are, are asking how would you sort those guys out. But Johnson's fun to watch. You know, playing in the middle of the field, he's got tremendous burst. There's no hesitation, no fear for a guy that's 186 pounds. He'll throw his weight, throw his body into people. It um, seems when you watch him on tape, you can see him really directing traffic. Uh, he seems like kind of the leader back there, getting everybody where they need to be. And then Redwine, a little more prototypical in terms of you know, a little bit bigger, uh, a little bit stronger. He's a real physical, sure tackler, excellent blitzer. Um, and you see him in the middle of the field some as well, as well as over the slot. So I wanted to see those guys in person to see how they would kind of separate themselves watching them move around. 
Um, but as of right now, they're riding together. And then below them, I would have the corner uh, in Mike Jackson, who's uh, you know he's a, he's a physical kid, but um, there's there's some issues there. Where I thought, especially against the run, he got stuck on some blocks. Um, he's a solid player. I kind of had him in that more in that kind of fifth, sixth round range. Okay, so I, I know we're not supposed to do back uh, follow up, so I'm just wondering. You didn't say anything about uh, Johnson and the the safeties. Did you have the round about? Oh, about the round? Yeah, to me, I have them. They're like third, fourth round is where I have where okay. I have their grades. Yeah. Thank you very much. No problem. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Tim Twentyman of Detroit Lions. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel, how you doing? You mentioned the tight ends uh, earlier, how you like that class. I was just curious, you know, if, if the Lions at number eight, I know they've been linked to, to T.J. Hawkinson a little bit, but if they go defense or another position at number eight uh, and look to bolster the tight end position maybe in day two, um, is there some guys right there that can be impact players um, and maybe who fits that description? Sure. There's, there, I can find you tight ends in every round in this draft. I mean, it's it's a, a really, really good group. I, I'll give you a couple guys. Uh, Kahali Waring from San Diego State. Uh, he was going to be 6'5", plus 250 pounds. He's got really, really soft hands. He can he can really roll. Excellent change of direction and athlete. Um, he's a work in progress. I mean, he's not played a lot of football. I want to say he was water polo in, uh, in high school. Um, but he's somebody that's the, the best is ahead of him, and he's limitless in terms of his athleticism. I actually saw him in the gym over the summer before I knew anything about him. I, I'd go down to a place in San Diego for my son at, at uh, Fitness Quest 10 with uh, with Todd Durkin, which is he's trained Drew Brees, LT uh, trained there, Sproles is in there. Uh, we saw a bunch of NFL players work out there is what I'm getting at. And I, I go in there over the summer, and I see this dude, and I go, Todd, who the heck is that? And I thought it was an NFL player, and it was Kahali Waring, the tight end from San Diego State. So he's going to pass the eye test. He's probably going to go off the board in the in the second or third round. Um, that's one that's interesting. Then uh, Caden Smith from Stanford, who has probably more contested catches than anybody in this draft. I mean, he's you're not going to you're not going to run away from a ton of people, but he works in the seams and he catches balls and absorbs contact um, as well as anybody you're going to see. So I, he's somebody who can play in line. He can flex him out. Um, he, he's going to be another one that's going to be in that, uh, to me, that 2-3 range. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Clifton Brown of Baltimore Ravens. Your line is now open. Yes, Daniel. I saw where you were saying that the Ravens uh, might be a candidate to trade back at number 22. Uh, just want to know, I guess, more about why you feel that feel that way. And if they stay at 22, who are some guys you see might be fitting for them at that spot? Sure. Uh, I mean, just having been in that organization and, and knowing uh, that group, I know Eric is uh, is a very bright guy, and he knows about value um, and, and where you can find value in the draft. To me, in, in my opinion, there's a lot of value to be had in that second-round range. And so for them currently not to have a second-round pick after the Lamar Jackson trade it makes sense to me to see them kind of slide back and collect picks. I mean, they historically have done a very good job in those middle rounds. So if you could pick up a second-round pick and maybe even a, an, another three or a four, they've drafted a lot of good football players in that range. So uh, that would be something that would make sense to me. In terms of if they stuck at 22, some guys that would make sense, you know, we'll see what happens in free agency. Um, but uh, Bush, the linebacker from Michigan, 
Devin Bush would uh, – he's somebody that when I watched him, I said, okay, this is a Baltimore Ravens-type player. Uh, maybe not the prototypical height, but he's got some serious thump. He's an excellent blitzer. Uh, he can run, cover, and blitz. He would make a lot of sense there. If something were to happen with C.J. Mosley in free agency, I would think that one uh, would make a lot of sense there. And then wide receiver-wise, you know, we'll see what happens with uh, – you know, with DK Metcalf and where he ends up going, but that's a, a big, physical, strong receiver. That uh, you know, Lamar, as he continues to develop, he's going to hopefully. The, the hope there is you're going to see him become a little bit more accurate. In the meantime, I think finding somebody that not only can run but somebody with a huge catch radius like DK Metcalf would make a lot of sense there. Thank you. Our next question is coming from John Wilner of San Jose News. Your line is now open. Thanks for your time, Daniel. Hey, John. What's up, man? I was wondering if you had any general thoughts on the the Pac-12 group of prospects at the Combine and and anybody in particular you looking to see how they perform? Sure. I mean, uh, you know, I I, I continue to be impressed with Chris Peterson and the Washington program. You know, when when you just look at the job that he's done, of identifying players and developing players and, and pushing them out. He's, it seems like every year they continue to do it. And, you know, you look at the secondary, all the guys they've had picked over the last several years, they've got another one coming up in Byron Murphy who's got a chance to be a, a first-round pick. He's very, very instinctive, great ball skills. He's tough. I don't think he's going he's gonna to run as fast as some of the other corners they've had in recent years. Uh, and that maybe will drop him into the second round, but that's uh, that's somebody that I, I'm a big fan of. Taylor Rapp, the safety from Washington. Again, I keep using these, these the same words, but instinctive. Um, they 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 do a great job there of identifying really natural, instinctive football players. And Taylor Rapp is somebody who doesn't miss tackles. He can play a variety of positions. You could play him as a nickel backer. He could play a little bit over the slot if you wanted him to. He can be the high safety. He can be a force player. Um, he's just a really, really good player. And then uh, Caleb McGarry is another one, the big tackle there um, at Washington, who's played on the right side. You have to get sort through the medical stuff there. He's had a heart issue. But he's six, almost six foot seven, 320 pounds. He's quick. He's strong. He's tough. Uh, there's a lot to work with with him. You know, To me, when I watch him, John, he reminds me a little bit of, of Whitworth watching him at LSU. Um, where you kind of envision and, and you maybe could see uh, where that was going with him. Um, to me, McGarry is uh, is somebody that has that type of upside and ability. So in terms of the conference as a whole, just been really, really impressed with that group and what they've done up there at that school. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Scott Docterman of The Athletic. Your line is now open. Yeah, Dan, I just wanted to know what you thought of uh, the two Iowa tight ends, maybe some of their differences, and, and what is it about Iowa that just keeps producing, you know, top NFL talent at that position? Yeah, it, it's impressive. You know, when you look at offensive linemen over the last several years, you know, it's been said, but to me, you look at guys coming out of the Big Ten, and then I would include Notre Dame maybe as the unofficial extra team there, uh, but you knew what you were buying. There, there was a uh, there's a pretty good hit rate there with offensive linemen there. And then now you look at the tight end position at Iowa, it's, that collection is starting to get pretty big. You know, Stanford's had a good group of guys as well over the years. Um, but Iowa, you know you're going to be getting somebody that's been coached hard, 
that's tough, that can play in line. They're not just flexed out all the time, so they have the ability to put their hand on the ground, um, and they've had quite a track record. I love Hawkinson. I think he's the safest player in the draft. You know, I, and part of the benefit for him in, in terms of what I gave him and where I ranked him, I, I did him the day after watching Rob Gronkowski live in person in the playoff game against the Chargers, and I saw Gronk completely dominate a football game without really having to catch the ball. He was just so dominant in the run game. And then I flip on this kid, and he's not as tall as Gronk. And I don't compare anybody to Gronk. He's on his whole a whole different level in terms of what he can do. But I saw this kid with that same temperament and, and nastiness in the run game and controlling the run game. And then on top of that, he does nothing uh, but get open and catch everything they throw to him. So uh, he's, he's going to be a very valuable player with a very high floor as well as a high ceiling uh, for me. And then Fant is is more athletic version. He's more explosive. He's he's functional in the run game. He's he's okay. Um, you can get by with him there, no problem. He's not he's not the deficient, but he's not the you know he's not the killer that Hawkinson is. So that would be the difference there. And I think Hawkinson has a little bit more natural hands with Fant. He's got a little bit of a habit. He's jumping for balls that are on his body. So um, sometimes that shows you guys have total confidence there in his hands. So that would be a little bit of the difference there. But I think both these guys are first round picks. Day one starters and uh, and big time impact guys. Thanks so Thank much. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Blake Top Mayor of Knoxville News Sentinel. Your line is now open. And, uh, Tennessee doesn't have University of Tennessee doesn't have anybody at the combine. Just wondering if you see anybody from Tennessee having a real shot of being drafted, and then also your thoughts on a couple former balls, uh, Preston Williams and Jalen Hurd. Sure. Um, first of all, I hadn't even put that together yet. Charles Davis is not going to want to see me um, because Appalachian State has somebody at the combine and, and Tennessee doesn't. So um, <laughs> apologies in advance to Charles. Um, co- a couple of those guys, Preston Williams, uh, who's not going to be there either because of uh, you know some of the off-the-field issues that he's had, there's not a more talented wide receiver than him in the draft. I mean, he is – he is tall. He's smooth. Um, he's explosive. You see him as a kickoff returner. What he can do. Um, he has got some. He has got unique, unique talent and unique ability. You just got to sort through the off the field stuff, and that's why I kind of push him down a little bit as I continue to try and learn more about him. But I mean, you see special one-handed catches. Um, I mentioned the uh, the big time juice as a returner. He's an easy mover at six four, two hundred thirteen pounds. Um, so he's somebody teams are going to do their homework on, and if they can, you know, feel good about him off the field, he's probably, you know, he could work his way into the second round. I mean, he's that type of uh, he's that type of ability uh, that that's kind of in the mix. And Jalen Hurd, to me, he's one of the, he's one of the more intriguing guys in the whole draft. And they goes to Baylor, plays some receiver, and he has some drops, but you can still see he's very sudden, especially kind of getting in and out of the break. He's he's very very uh, explosive out of the break point but when they put him back at running back and let him run you're kind of like whoa okay this is a guy that ran for over a thousand yards in the sec and and you can kind of see that so to me i think you know i wrote down in my notes like a jumbo athlete you know like they do used to do in recruiting i don't even know if they do that anymore um but I, i i put him down i said he's a jumbo athlete he can kind of be a little bit of a big slot receiver you can use him on the fly sweeps and the jet sweeps 
um, you know, pitch him, shovel, whatever. Just get the ball in his hands because with the ball in his hands, um, he's outstanding and he's great after the catch. And then you see those running back skills uh, kind of take over. There was a a stat that I had looked up last year. There were 421 wide receiver carries, the most in modern history, and those went for 6.4 yards per catch. So that's all coming on those fly sweeps. That's not even counting when you're in the gun and you see the speed shovel, uh, which has been a real popular play. So having a guy like that, you can use him in that role as well as you can put him in the backfield. I think it's a it's a pretty valuable skill set he possesses. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Mary Kay Cabot of Cleveland.com. Your line is now open. Uh, hey, Daniel, just wondering um, with the Browns, if they decide to go defense there, who do you like at number 17, and would you consider trading up for, for one of the better defenders? Yeah, I mean, there, there's so much depth um, and talent in this group. You know, one name that I would keep an eye on um, is, is Simmons. Jeffrey Simmons, to me, is one of the, if if healthy, now he's coming off of the ACL, just, ha- just happened. He's a top five player in this draft, no doubt. I mean, to me, he's one of the three three best players in the whole draft. So if you look at John Dorsey and, and kind of going on upside and, and, and trying to, you know, go for it, be aggressive, that's kind of his, his mantra as of late. Jeffrey Simmons would be a home run pick. Now, there's the high school video uh, of the issue that he had, and that's out there. Everything I've been told by people that have gone to the school there at Mississippi State, he's been a model citizen. There have been absolutely no issues there. He's been on the honor roll. You won't find anybody saying anything bad about them, but they have to kind of navigate through that. But as a talent, it, where they're picking, if for some reason at 17 Jeffrey Simmons was there, even though you have to, you know, potentially redshirt him for the year, that might be too uh, that might be too tempting to pass up in, in that situation. So that would be one I would keep an eye on. Um, he's somebody that would uh, would be man. He would be a dynamic player next to Ogan Joby in there. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Ryan Dunleavy of NJ.com. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel. Thanks for doing this. Uh, back to the quarterbacks for a sec. Hypothetically, if uh, Haskins and Murray were in the same draft last year with those five guys, where do they shape up compared to the Rosens, Darnolds, uh, Allens, Mayfield? Where would you have these two guys with those two guys in the same draft. And is it possible, could you really see a world where the Giants don't pick a quarterback two years in a row in the top six? (laughs) I'll uh, start with the first part of the question. In terms of grades, now this is the grade I had in them coming out, not what they've done. Um, I I have Darnold with the highest grade, then it was Rosen, then it was Mayfield, and then I gave the same grade to Josh Allen as my fourth quarterback last year as I gave to Kyler Murray this year. So they would be tied for my fourth. And then I would have Haskins would be behind them, and then Lamar Jackson would be behind him. So that would be the order I have uh, stacking those guys in with last year's class based purely uh, off the grade. It would be, man, for the Giants, if they don't uh, they don't take a quarterback again all the way up here, I you know, that would be it would be interesting. Uh we saw it though with Cleveland, you know, trying to trying to build up the team and then eventually get that quarterback later on. The difference is is that Cleveland didn't have a capable guy on campus already in, in Eli Manning. So I think it's a little different from that standpoint. Um you know, it, it would be 
it will be something they will have to answer a lot of questions about, to put it to you that way, if they were to escape the top ten without a quarterback in back-to-back years. Um, you know, my thing is the question isn't, you know, do you take one? It's if you have one that you like, you might even have to just just move up a little bit just to guarantee that you get the guy that you like. So that that'll be a, a tough decision for them to make. But it would be, you know, it would be very tough on that organization to have had two cracks at it and uh, and not come away with a quarterback. Thanks. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Jason Galloway of the Wisconsin State Journal. Your line is now open. Hi, Daniel. There's a few Wisconsin guys that, that played through injury for most of last year, David Edwards being the most notable one, and then some late-round guys too, like Ryan Connolly and Andrew Van Ginkle. Um, I was just wondering how you go about – how do you kind of approach evaluating uh, tape when you know – the prospect isn't really playing at 100%. And for, for those guys in particular, are, are these, you know, pre-draft and uh, workouts like the combine and pro day, are they particularly important for those guys? Yeah, I mean, you want to see it. You want to see, you know, are they are they back to health and do you see the player you saw previously? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a great reminder for me because I'm putting my head down just get, getting through 300-plus players. And, you know, after this process, it's it's helpful then to go back and say, hey, you know, is this, you know, he's somebody like, like Edwards. I did not watch him previously. So that's like you even saying that right now. I'll highlight him and I'll be able to circle back and, and, and watch more of him previously. You know, even not even health, sometimes it can just be performance where there's a difference from one year to the next. It's, it's at, after the combine to me, that's that time where you get a chance to see them at the combine, see how they move around. Okay, they catch your eye. This looked different than what I saw in the fall. And you start doing your homework and realize, okay, well, there's reasons for that, and, and you see if that same player um, can emerge when you go back and watch some older tape. So that's what's something that a, that a lot of teams will be uh, will be doing. I mean, when I watched Edwards against Michigan, and um, Winovich just was, was all over him, and that was a tough one for me to get over. Uh, so it'll be good on guys like that to kind of revisit them and go back and watch some older tape. All right, thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Z- um, Jeff Zrebeck of The Athletic. Your line is now open. Daniel, you saw Lamar Jackson uh, up and the Ravens up close and personal uh, late in the season. Um, they've talked a ton uh, about building their offense around Jackson. From what you've seen, what are the pieces that are essential uh, for them to add offensively to sort of bring out the best in Jackson and, and maybe a, a few names in the draft that might fit that? Sure. I, I, to me, I, I would love to see them just continue to get faster and, and more explosive offensively. You know, what he can do with his legs is exceptional, and what they can do with their offensive line and, and their run game that they got cranked up later in the season, it, what it does is it provides you opportunities for big home run plays down the field. Now, they were able to get one. I saw it in the Charger game at the end of the regular season. You get the big tight end, um, you know, screaming across the field, and you get a long 60-yard touchdown. But to me, getting more dynamic and explosive at the receiver position where you can pay off all this running uh, with some home runs. Not only it's great to have the explosive plays, but when you've got a quarterback who's not going to be a 70% passer, you know, and it's trying to sustain drives where you've got to convert you know, four or five third downs is going to be tough early on in his career. So being able to get some of those those home runs, um, have some of those shorter you know shorter play drives makes a lot of sense. So when I try and find out some receivers that make sense, I mentioned DK Metcalf a little bit earlier, um, and then you get to you know a guy like Paris Campbell who can fly. Miko Hardeman to me, 
um, from Georgia, it would be a great fit there. And not only can he can he give you the, the receiver stuff, he can help you in the return game. He not only has the speed element, he is really tough. You know, So the production is not going to be there for a lot of these Georgia players because there's so many mouths to feed. But he is a real dynamic, explosive player. I think he'd be a great fit in Baltimore. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Charlie Putter of 247 Sports. Your line is now open. Uh, hey, Daniel. I know you already mentioned Josh Jacobs, Mac Wilson, and Deontay Thompson, but I just wanted to ask, who are some Alabama players with the best chance to improve their draft stock at the Combine? Ooh, that's a great, great question. Um, you know, a guy that, that's going to be interesting is Miller, uh, Christian Miller. We'll see we'll see what happens with him. You know, how's he going to how's he going to move around? How's he going to test? Uh, I know one thing: he is he is tall. He's long. Um, you see him as a rusher. He's got great hands. He can he can finish. He's a little bit stiff in coverage. You know, that's one of those things. If you're a, if you're a team looking at him as an, an outside linebacker. You want to see how does he do going through those drills? You know, can he uh, can he change direction? Can he show you a little more fluid? That could be something he could prove that could uh, that could really help himself in that department. Um, so he's one I would uh, I would definitely keep an eye on. Uh, that you start you might start hearing his name buzz a little bit more uh, after the combine because he's he's a pretty intriguing player. Appreciate it. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Kevin Duffy of Boston Herald. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel, after the Patriots bypassed on quarterback up high in last year's draft, can you see them going at that position at number 32 or perhaps even moving up in the first round? And beyond quarterback of the future, which other positions do you think they need to prioritize with the six picks they have in rounds one through three? Yeah, thank you for the question. Um, predicting what the Patriots are going to do is impossible. Uh, I've, I've been trying it on the media side for six years, and uh, it's, it's it's tough to do. Uh, so I, I don't know exactly you know what they would be thinking in terms of trying to find that quarterback right now. Um, if they were going to be looking at some guys at 32, and I look at you know Daniel Jones to me, if he were to fall down that far, would make a lot of sense for them. Um, he's somebody that's just uh, you know he's very bright. He's he's going to be able to kind of swallow the information you're going to have to swallow in that offense in due time. He's got touch and accuracy. He does not have a huge arm. Uh, but just a real smooth rhythm quarterback, which is something uh, they value in a big way. Uh, outside the first round, if they wanted to go one in the, in the rounds after that, to me, Ryan Finley from NC State, who's almost uh, you know a little bit of a poor man's Jared Goff, same build, kind of that skinny frame, but a great anticipatory thriller, very accurate and tough. Uh, that would be another name that kind of makes some sense that would fit in with uh, with what they've they've done there at the position. So those would be a couple quarterbacks. I would keep an eye on. And then, you know, tight end, you got to start thinking about tight end. You know, we'll see what Gronk decides to do. Um, but a guy like, you know, if the two Iowa kids are gone, if Hawkinson and Fant are gone, I have I have uh, Irv Smith right in that range from Alabama, who I think would be a, a great fit there. Um, and he'd be able to kind of plug in. You can play him in line. You can move him. Um, just a real smooth, clean route runner. Who's, uh, who's pretty nifty after the catch and has some toughness that uh, I know they covet there. So he'd be somebody that uh, would make some sense. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Tyler Palmetier of the Norman Transcript. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel. Uh, Kyler Murray wasn't really tipping his hand Saturday about what he's actually going to do at the Combine. What, what tests 
you see him potentially passing on and what's the biggest gain he can make this week or what's maybe the biggest question mark that he can answer for people? Well, I mean, the obvious answer is, you know, he's he's just got to get heighted and weighted. I mean, that's going to be what people are waiting to see. How tall is he? How big is he? Um, I saw some people speculating, oh, maybe he'll, you know, Lamar Jackson refused to run. Maybe he refuses to get measured. That's There's no chance. I've never seen that done. Um, they they won't let you do it at a pro day. I mean, scouts we won't let you work out if you don't get heighted and weighted at a pro day. It might be two days after the combine, but that's our responsibility to find out, you know, if there's any change there. So I've never seen it in my eight years in scouting. I've never heard of it where a player has been at the combine and refused to get, you know, a height and weight. So that, I don't buy that. Um, what, you know, what will he do on the field? We've seen several top quarterbacks not throw over the years, and we've seen some of them do it. So that, to me, uh, selfishly, if somebody's going to be sitting there calling it, I sure as heck hope he throws because he's got a live arm and he'll be fun to watch. Um, I do hope he does uh, He does decide to do that. But um, the other issue, you know, other question is, you go through the – some guys will go through the physical testing, run your 40, jump, do all that stuff. So then at your pro day you can focus on just throwing. Um, he's got a lot of decisions to make with that stuff. I I would encourage him to, to run at some point in time. I thought last year Lamar Jackson, you know, we knew he was fast, and I think he wanted to put the emphasis on him as a thrower. I understand that. But I thought if you've got, if you've got something that's pretty special, um, which, which Lamar had with his speed and Kyler has with his speed – why not take the opportunity to show that off? So hopefully he'll decide to do that. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Rich Scarsella of the Reading Eagle. Your line is now open. Thank you. Thanks for your time, Daniel. How would you evaluate three Penn State players, Trace McSorley, Connor McGovern, and Amani Orwarie? Sure. Uh, you know, to me, McSorley um, – you know, to me, he's just kind of a, he's somebody who's probably going to find his way in the middle to, to late rounds in this draft. Um, Accuracy-wise was, was kind of the one area where you want to see him just be a little bit more consistent. Obviously, he doesn't have that prototypical size, um, but he's somebody that's ultra-competitive. When it's the money downs, when it's the money time of the game throughout his career, he's found a way to get that done. Um, I, I kind of envision for him a career like uh, – you know, like Colt McCoy's had, where he's hung around the NFL for a long time. Um, I could see, you know, McSorley kind of being in that boat and uh, and being a really, really good backup that uh, can get you through a game or two if you needed to. Uh, McGovern is a fun one for me. I mentioned earlier about kind of highlighting guys that some of my favorite guys, he's one that I've highlighted. Um, he can really uproot defensive linemen. He's a drive blocker. He's nasty. He's a finisher. Got the ability to play any of those three interior spots. He's very, very uh, football smart and savvy when they're running twists and games on him. Um, he's somebody that uh, I, I think is going to probably fall in that second-round range. At worst, I would think maybe the third round. But I think he's a plug-and-play guy uh, who's ready to go. I need to do a little bit more work on the corner. The big question I had with what I'd seen so far, which is could he really run, um, that was my, my knock and my concern. So uh, that will be big for him at the Combine. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Eric Williams of ESPN. Your line is now open. Hey, DJ. Thanks for taking my question. Uh, with 
Phillip Rivers getting up there in years. Chargers are going to be, you know, obviously looking at the quarterback position. I'm wondering some quarterbacks that make sense in day two and day three that turns this team fit for the Chargers. Sure. Um, you know, we mentioned, uh, you know, late late in the first round, um, I, I think you'd be in the in the Daniel potentially could be in the Daniel Jones Drew Lock uh, range. I don't know that the Chargers would be able to see either one of those quarterbacks. Um, if you got to the second round, um, in terms of you know maybe an interesting name would be Jared Stidham, who is who's going to need some time to develop, but just in terms of a skill set, you know, just got a big arm. He's a great athlete, um, be able to move around a little bit. He just needs to be a little more consistent. He missed too many layups when you watch him on tape, but arm strength, athleticism. By all accounts, he's a, he's a he's a great kid. I've enjoyed my interaction with him. So, having Philip in place for a couple more years, I think you could maybe you know, take it take a shot on somebody like that, uh, who could be a developmental guy. You would get in that uh, to me, it'd probably be more in that third round range. But it wouldn't stun me if he if he found his way into the second round. But I would say that third round would be more that sweet spot for him. All right. Thanks, DJ. Appreciate it. Yep. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Brooks Kubina of The Advocate. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel. Thanks for doing this. No um, problem. Two-part question just uh, with uh, LSU guys. Uh, I see you got Devin White at nine in your most recent one. Uh, you know, what about him makes uh, you know him a talented inside linebacker? I heard earlier you talk about him and kind of the inside linebacker depth and things like that. What in terms of past linebackers, what is his talent level at if it's exceptional? And I saw you had Greedy kind of outside of the first round, said it was kind of hard to evaluate him. What makes it hard to evaluate about him, too? Sure. Um, Devin White, I mean, look, speed, range, the ability to cover, um, the effort, the leadership, all those traits you're looking for in a modern linebacker. Uh, obviously, the leadership, the effort has, has been there through the test of time, but the ability to cover and run is is so huge right now at that position. So that's what makes him unique. I had a little bit higher grade on Roquan last year, uh, but Devin is is not far behind that. And I think he's somebody that if you're looking, you know, wherever he goes, he's gonna he's gonna plug and play. He's gonna be a rookie of the year candidate who's gonna collect a ridiculous number of tackles and in uh, explosive plays. Greedy Williams was tough for me. Maybe one of it literally. I would say, if not the toughest, one of the three toughest evaluations for me in the whole draft because I see the height, I see the length, I see the ball skills and, and the overall athleticism, which I which I really, really like. Um, he's fluid, he's smooth. I just, from a short area, that short area quickness you want to see and some of that, some of that uh, feistiness, I don't really see that as much as I'd like to see. Against the run, um, he's, he's not, he hadn't been good. He's a liability against the run. So not having kind of that physicality, a little bit more of an edge to him, that's my concern, as well as some of that kind of short area explosiveness. Those would be my two areas of concern with him. And really, you talk to teams around the league, they're all over the map. There's some teams view Greedy as the, as the no-doubt top corner, and there's some teams that have him buried. So he's a, he's a pretty polarizing player. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Kyle Henderson of BumInsider.com. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel, thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. No uh, update on Bryce Harper, by the way. Um, 
Uh, I'm going to throw you a bit of a curveball. I, I know you've got a lot of questions regarding Alabama players, and rightfully so. You know, with uh, 11 in and with Deontay Thompson not playing or competing, that's 10. But, um, have you have you had an opportunity, and I, I wanted to get your take since you've been scouting for so long, to get your take on Tua Tungvaloa. And um, he's a left-handed quarterback. There's a lot of left-handed quarterbacks in the NFL. I don't think there's one. In the tape that you've seen of Tua, what what does he need to work on? And um, you know, interested to get your thoughts and a scouting, a small scouting report on uh, the future of Alabama football going forward at the quarterback position. Sure. No, he's he's, uh, he's pretty darn good. I mean, I, I got a chance to to meet him and watch him work out at the Elite Eleven in Los Angeles over the summer. Um, and uh, he's somebody – I actually brought my son, who was 14 at the time, and got to meet all, you know, all the top college quarterbacks were there and got to spend time with them. And uh, and he spent – you know, no, just, hey, let me – we take a picture with my son. You know, my son was, you know, knows all these kids. He's a big football fan. So all the guys were nice to him, took a picture with him. Tua, Tua talked to my son for probably 10, 15 minutes. Um, so he's my son's favorite college football player. I mean, he's, uh, he's a special guy, just how engaging he is. Um, as a player, I have not done a full workup on him. I just know having seen him throw live. I know there's there's a guy that can make every single throw and really, really a really good anticipatory thrower, uh, which is something I believe is tough to teach. He throws with outstanding anticipation, um, which is which is good to see. Now, hopefully, you know what does he need to work on? I'd have to do more work to be able to tell you that. But uh, you know, hopefully, he can get over this little injury bug, uh, some of these issues he's had to deal with in his lower half, and have a nice clean season next year. I appreciate it. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Jory Epstein of USA Today. Your line is now open. Thanks for your time today, Daniel. Two questions. One, with the Cowboys not picking until later in the second round, what do you think are some of the positions and players who they should most be watching this week? And on a different note, We've talked a lot about Kyler and his height and shorter QBs. What about someone like Tyree Jackson? What does his height bring, and what uh, benefit or disadvantage do you think that much height is in this draft? Sure. Uh, I'll start with the last part there with Tyree. He's uh, If you did a cut-up, you could put a cut-up of 10 throws that he makes that are just ridiculous. Um, this is a quarterback from Buffalo, for those who don't know, and he uh, – um, he, he's on the move. You'll see him on the move to the right and throw all the way across the field, deep down the field, a uh, ridiculous arm. He made a big-time throw uh, in the senior bowl game as well. This is somebody who did not have a quarterback coach growing up. He would watch YouTube clips and try and teach himself some different drills and try and develop himself that way, uh, where so many of these kids have their private coaches all growing up. He didn't have that. So I think there's significant room for him to grow. Mechanically, he's going to need some work. It's hard as a tall, long quarterback. It's just a lot of moving parts there. So uh, I know he's been working with Jordan Palmer, and they're working on trying, trying to tighten him up a little bit. That'll help, uh, that'll help some with his accuracy uh, going forward. So that's something that uh, I think he can get better on. I think he can improve in that area. So uh, he's somebody that's uh, it's intriguing in the middle rounds to me in, in this year's draft. When I look at the Cowboys, you know, we'll see what happens with Demarcus Lawrence and that whole situation, you know, looking for some names in the second round range. It's hard to believe, but Clemson's got actually a fourth defensive lineman. We're going to see three go in the first round, and the fourth one is Austin Bryant, from uh, who's about 6'4", 200, close to 270 pounds, and uh, he's got some pass rush as well. They'll, they'll line him up over the slot, let him play in some space. Really, really good over tight ends. 
he's just kind of the forgotten man in their group. Um, really good against the run, can set the edge. So he's somebody in that that second round range that uh, give them a little bit of uh, uh, a little bit of another weapon there up front. Awesome, thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Buck Racing of ESPN Radio Nashville. Your line is now open. Uh, yes, hi, Daniel. I appreciate you taking the call. The, the Titans are such a weird team. It's difficult to figure out where they should prioritize this draft with an obvious need for pass rush and offensive explosiveness at the skill position. Where do you think they should prioritize their needs, and uh, where what player do you think is the best uh, the best fit in the first round? Good question there. Um, you know, when you when you look at them, to me, just trying to find some more difference-making players, some more blue-chip, explosive, dynamic players. Um, and when you kind of look up front, and I feel like I kind of mentioned some of these names already, but uh, someone with a little juice, a little twitch off the edge, I would like to see. Uh, I'd be okay if uh, if they went in that direction. We've talked about Montez Sweat. We'll see if he's there. You know, Farrell is, is more of that kind of physical uh, rusher. And then, uh, you know, we talked a little bit earlier about uh, Polite, who's maybe not the size specs you're looking for there, but it's got a, a real fastball there off the edge. Just trying to find some difference makers. Some guys can make some plays there in that front. Um, and then when you kind of look over on the on the offensive side of the ball, maybe another complimentary receiver. You want to get explosive. Those two kids uh, with Metcalf and Marquise Brown, uh, you pair them up going forward with what you have. Uh, and Corey Davis going forward, that'd be a pretty good young nucleus to work with. Appreciate you, Daniel. No problem. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Jeff Miller of Los Angeles Times. Your line is now open. Uh, hey, Daniel. Uh, you know the Chargers quite quite well, obviously. What uh, what do you see them doing, and what do you think their needs are as the combine and draft approach here? Yeah, I mean they're in a, they're in a pretty good spot with. Uh, with a lot of key positions taken care of. I think trying to find a true free safety, you know, it's a team that really, you know, Derwin James can do it, but you kind of take away from what he can do near the line of scrimmage, which is what really makes him special. You know, when you can use him as a blitzer, you can cover tight ends, and he can be a force player against the run. That's where, you know, I think Derwin James is so dynamic. So trying to complement that with a true uh, middle-of-the-field safety I look at Nasir Adderley from Delaware, who I think would be a perfect complement, skill set wise, who can play in that deep middle and range and make a bunch of plays. That would be a place you know you can look. Um, also, when you look at the linebacker position, getting somebody that can really you know can really run and can cover. I don't think it's a deep group at the linebacker spot, and I don't think you'll see one of those top two linebackers, Devin Bush. And Devin White, I've said it's kind of the two Devons, and then it's a big drop-off uh, this year at the linebacker position. Uh, Mac Wilson could cons- you know, be a consideration there, although that might be a little bit early for him. Um, so that's something maybe you look at in the, uh, in the rounds, in those middle rounds, try and find somebody that can come in there and compete. And the other spot, I would say, is just trying to find a tackle. You know, Is there an offensive tackle that's going to be there? I thought maybe early on in the process you hope that – Maybe a guy like Andre Dillard could fall that far or could maybe you know, land in your lap. I don't know that that would happen. I think you'd probably be looking more at a guy like Dalton Reisner from uh, from Kansas State or we've mentioned uh, McGarry from Washington. Uh, Titus Howard is a small school player from Alabama State who I kind of have factored into that second-round range. Who knows? He could uh, He could creep up into that conversation in the bottom of the first round. 
wouldn't totally shock me, but uh, those would be some position players you'd be looking at there at the end of the first round. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Adam Beasley of the Miami Herald. Your line is now open. EJ, thanks for taking the time to do this. Good to hear you, bud. Thanks. So the, you touched on Kyler Murray. I want to go another direction with the Dolphins. Uh, they are going to run 3-4 and 4-3. What players in their range in the first would make sense for them? Sure. Picking at 13, and uh, you kind of look at that, that Patriots defense and what they've done there and what they value. They've done a nice job of getting guys that are heavy-handed, uh, that can set the edge, but also you can get some power rush with them. And to me, the way I describe that, that sounds like Farrell. I mean, that's exactly um, who how he fits. I mean, to me, I watch him, and I think that's kind of a – he's kind of a classic Patriots player who would make a lot of sense there for Miami in that spot. And then, um, you know, maybe outside the first round, another guy who I think just scheme-wise scheme would, would make some sense there because of different things he can do is a guy like L.J. Collier, uh, who mentioned a little bit earlier there from TCU. He's a, he's a real physical, physical player. Uh, quick hands, strong hands, got some power, and you can move him around a little bit. So that versatility, I think, would play well. Thanks, Thank, yep. thank you. Our next question is coming from Eric Smith of Minnesota Vikings. Your line is now open. Hey, DJ, I noticed you had uh, – Jonah Williams to the Vikings at 18 in your mock. Can he play inside and outside at tackle and guard? And what do you like about his skill set? Yeah, I mean, to me, it's a it's a little bit similar situation. He's not the same player um, coming out as Zach Martin, but it's the same conversation being had. You know, is he a tackle? Is he a guard? I think there's a chance he could hold up a tackle and be a functional starting tackle. I think he's got a chance to be special inside. I, I think, to me, that's where he fits best. Some of his, his, his length issues, he's not a real long guy, shows up shows up in the Clemson game this year, showed up in the Clemson game last year, where guys kind of get into his chest and he struggles a little bit on the edge. So I like him kicking inside. He is a dominating run blocker. Talk about somebody that can get his hands on people and work up to the second level combo blocks. He's instinctive. He runs his feet on contact. Um, played a lot of football there at Alabama. I know some teams actually like him at center. Uh, I just I wrote him up and said, you know, I, I think he's got a chance to be a perennial Pro Bowl guard uh, with the way that he plays. I, I love the nasty that he has. Um, i got to come up with a new scouting term if anybody wants to help me because we used to call it typewriter feet, but apparently typewriters aren't a thing anymore. So i got to find another way to describe that as somebody that's got that quick pitter-patter with his feet. He's just a real quick-footed guy. Appreciate it. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Angelic Chingelis of the News. Your line is now open. Thank you so much. Daniel, I, I, you know, I was looking at your recent list. You, you look like you have uh, Rashawn and Rashawn Gary, pardon me, and, and Devin Bush dropping a little bit. I was wondering if you could touch on them and also the four other Michigan uh, players going to the Combine, Winovich, Higdon, um, Gentry, and David Long. Thank you. Oh, sorry, can you just repeat it one more time? You cut out on me for just a second. I'm about that. No, I was asking. It looked like um, you had Rashawn Gary and Devin Bush drop off a little bit on your on your most recent mm-hmm. list, and was wondering why. And and also, if you could touch on the um, the other four Michigan players at the combine: Higdon, Gentry, uh, David Long, and, and Chase Winovich. Thanks. Sure. Um, starting with Gary and Bush, um, 
Rashawn Gary to me is uh, he's a little bit more athlete than football player at this point in time. You know, you'll see rare, rare, rare combination of size and speed, uh, very explosive. The production doesn't necessarily match the, the skill set. So that, to me, kind of going back through, watching more tape on all these guys as you go through the process, I still I view him as a top ten player. Wouldn't shock me if he was the second pick in the draft um, because there's tremendous upside with him. You know, from a skill set standpoint, I think the ceiling for him is like a Cam Jordan. Seeing me one of the better defensive ends in the NFL. He's a big, heavy end. I know some people say you should kick inside. I like him better on the edge. That's where he fits for me. But the kind of the you know a lot of disruption, not a lot of production. That's why he dropped a little bit on my list. And then really, I think when you look at Bush, nothing. I mean, I'm a big fan of his. You know, he dropped a couple spots. More about other players kind of moving around around him that kind of impacts him uh, in that way. That's why there's a little bit of movement there as we kind of go through the the players. Uh, Higdon, it's it's such a crowded running back group. I have him a little bit lower on my list. Um, he gets a chance to run through some big holes when you study him. Uh, I just want to see how much how much juice, how much stop speed he has. I thought he was a no-frills runner. Um, his feet will die a little bit on contact. He's got some body catches out of the backfield. So you've got a smaller back. You've got to be special in other areas. Um, and I, I didn't really see that. So I'll be anxious to see him in person, see what kind of juice he has. Uh, Gentry, the big tight end, um, he came out early, I believe. I, I thought he yeah. should have stayed in. Uh, I didn't think he should have come out with the draft class at that position as good as it is. Thought he could have been better served to go back. Now, former quarterback, he's got a big body, big catch radius, but more kind of a just wall you off and pluck. Uh, not a lot of separation, not a lot of run after the catch. Obviously, he's enormous. Um, so you've got something to work with there. But that's more of a project to me. That's more kind of, of a you know fifth, sixth-round type project. Uh, Winovich, I don't know you're going to find anybody that, that plays harder than him. He could be an extra in a, in a point-break movie. He looks exactly like uh, uh, the brother, Patrick Swayze's brother in that movie, uh, with his hair flying around. That was the first thing I thought of. Don't ask why. Um, but he's, uh, he, just, he goes 100 miles an hour. He's an Energizer Bunny. Fun to watch play. He's got, they call it in scouting, they call it kind of that push-pull. He's able to push you back and then pull you uh, down to the ground. And he, he did that several times when you get a chance to study him. He's, a, he's just a really, really solid player uh, that was, for me, one of the funner guys, uh, more fun guys to watch through the process. And there was one more I think I missed. Who was the other one? Uh, David Long. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, David Long. Now I got to refresh my memory here. You got to tell me the position. Cornerback. Sorry, cornerback. Oh yeah, yeah. no, I, I I have not done him yet. So I still have to do him. That's I believe he's a he's a San Diego kid, isn't he? Yeah, he's a West Coast kid. Yep. Yep. I have uh, I have yet to do him. I have I'm done with every position except for corners. I've got about eight corners I need to watch, and he's one of them. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Matt Wenzel of MLive. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel. I was wondering what you're looking to see from uh, Justin Lane at the uh, Combine, and maybe if you have a second to go over the other Michigan State guys, Kari Willis, LJ Scott, and Felton Davis. If he's unable to participate in the on-field workouts because of Achilles, what do you? what's his outlook on being drafted? Sure. Um, start here uh, with the corner. 
who I think is a, is a really, really good player. Um, Justin Lane, I have kind of in that second-round conversation. Um, he's, he, there's no wasted movement. He's smooth. He's patient. He can play the deep ball. He's got outstanding instincts. Um, you see him. Uh, he's got a nice plant and drive. Do a little burst there. Obviously, the, the size you're looking for at the position. He's somebody that I think could, uh, if he runs well, you're going to hear a lot about him coming out of the combine because his tape's really good. Uh, he's somebody that I'm, uh, I'm definitely intrigued by. L.J. Scott was tough to do because there's just no room. Uh, you know, you're watching a running back, and it's just there's people in his lap every time uh, he touches the football. So tough to get an evaluation from him. Obviously, you kind of go back. Uh, to when he was younger and see some of the production. The one thing I do like about him, he's in he's in there a lot on pass pro. A lot of these guys, a lot of these teams are, are free releasing these backs. You get a chance to see him in pass protection. He's square. He's solid. Uh, that's one of the better things he brings to the table. Um, so he's uh, he's definitely somebody that's uh, to me he's going to be a late round guy, and you hope that you're going to get the younger version of uh, of the player. Thank you. Our next question oh, I is missed, coming. I might have missed some of the other ones. He might have had another player on there. I can't remember exactly who else he asked about. Yeah, I'm sorry, Kari Willis and then uh, Felton Davis uh, with him not probably not being able to test in the on-field stuff. Sure. Kari Willis, um, you know, I, I've got to see this speech because talking to buddies around the league, they said you've got to watch his, his uh, Big Ten Media Day speech, so that's on my to-do list. I just wrote down he needs to play in the box. He'll play some over the slot. I just had questions about his speed. You know, you'll see him be very competitive in coverage uh, against the tight end. Uh, but that, to me, is, uh, you know, I had him kind of as a late-round guy uh, in that mix in the safety stack. He was a little bit down there. But I do have a to-do list there on the, uh, on the Big Ten media day. So I will, uh, I will get on that, get on that uh, shortly. And then we'll see. Uh, yeah, I don't anticipate uh, there going to be participation there with the other one. So uh, it's be interesting to watch all these guys up close in person. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Zach Berman of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Your line is now open. Hi, Daniel. You you talked about the depth in this defensive line class. Are there players who will be available in, in the 20s this year who in past years might be a, a, a top 10, top 15 player? Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I think there's, there's going to be very interesting guys there that are going to be – um, the, the depth is outstanding, but I don't know that you would say the guys you're going to get there would have been top ten players because we've had depth at other positions in those previous drafts. But I do think you're going to get solid value type guys in the 20s. You know, just really, really good football players. And I don't think that's, um, you know, I don't think you're getting some top ten type player, but you're going to be able to find a, you know, a really, really solid football player. That's where the Jakai Polites of the world. Uh, come into the mix there, I think, kind of find their way into the, that 20 range. Um, he's one that comes to mind. We'll see, you know, between Sweat and Farrell, we'll see where those guys go. Brian Burns, kind of a wild card, um, probably factors in that range as well. And Jalen Ferguson would be in the mix as well. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Matt Stipulkowski of NJ Advance Media. Your line is now open. Hi, Daniel. Uh, right now it seems like Bosa, Josh Allen, and Quinn Williams are kind of the consensus top three guys at the top of the draft. Uh, the Jets at number three, is it a matter of just whoever's left for them at that point, or, or are there some other guys that you could envision going to the Jets at three there? 
No, I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, the only other thing I could think of is when you just look at their most valuable possession is Sam Darnold, and finding some offensive linemen has got to be in the mix at some point in time. You know, a year after trading up for the quarterback, this might be a year where you try and trade down to collect some picks to help the quarterback. And if you're able to trade down, now you start getting into some of these offensive linemen that can help protect your franchise quarterback. And to me, you know, getting some extra picks and getting some offensive line help, that's not a bad strategy for them to go with. When you, you know, if you come away with a Jawan Taylor or Andre Dillard, Cody Ford, somebody like that, uh, that can help give him a chance, uh, that would make some sense to me as well. And those are three really, really good defensive players, and there's a need there. But I think the quarterback has to be in consideration. How can you help him? Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Matt Charbonneau. Your line is now open. Oh, I'm sorry. Matt um, Charbonneau um, canceled his question. And our next question is coming from Scott Petrock. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel. I know you talked a little bit about the defensive tackles, but I was hoping you could kind of differentiate the group in the first round as far as maybe tiers in for the first couple of rounds and then evaluate those two Clemson two tackles among that group and how do you think they break down and which one you think should go higher. Thanks. Sure, sure. Um, I'll start with the two Clemson guys. I mean, if it was 10 years ago, um, Dexter Lawrence would probably be a top 10 pick because he's a six four, 340-pound dominant run player um, who, if you're a 3-4 team and you put him on the nose, and you're going to struggle to run the ball against him. He is just uh, hes so big and so powerful. Now, he's more of a push-the-pocket guy as a pass rusher, and that's going to ding him a little bit. He, doesn't, you know, he hasn't shown a lot. Now, he comes off the field in some of their sub stuff because they've got so many athletic defensive linemen they can roll through there, but uh, pass rush-wise, the limitations there are going to probably – cause him to go behind Christian Wilkins. Uh, to me, finding an interior disruptor and a pass rusher is, is huge. You know, look at look at what the Rams have been able to do. Um, he's not on that level, but Christian Wilkins is very disruptive uh, as a pass rusher inside as well as a, as a run defender, just getting in the backfield, generating some negative pro- plays, generating pressure, quick hands, quick feet. Um, he's uh, he's somebody that's uh, I think is going to be very highly thought of around the league because of his ability to play in the backfield. So I would have him uh, over the top there of his teammate in Dexter Lawrence. When you look at at tiers, I mean in the first round tier, you know Quentin Williams, Christian Wilkins, Ed Oliver, you know Rashawn Gary, who I think is more of an edge guy, Jeffrey Simmons, and I think Lawrence probably factor in there in the in the twenties or the late one. And then you get into that next tier for me, you start getting into Jerry Tillery from Notre Dame. I really like Armand Watts from Arkansas, who's just real, real strong-handed guy uh, who's solid on tape. Gerald Willis uh, from Miami, Draymond Jones from Ohio State. Um, that's, that's kind of that next group when you're looking at some of those interior guys. L.J. Collier, to me, I have him on the edge. Uh, but some people at 280 pounds will uh, will look at him maybe as a three technique. So he's in that range as well. I, I really like that second round group of defensive tackles. That's great. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Nate Gabler of the Oxford Eagle. Your line is now open. I 
Excuse me, Nate. Kindly check on your mute function, please. Once again, Nate, kindly check on your mute function, please. Can you hear me? Hannah, yeah, listen. Look. Nate, is that you? Hello? Yes. All right, your line's open. You can ask a question. I'm sorry. Hey, DJ, can you can I get your take on the two Ole Miss receivers, obviously, or the two guys that are in contention for the first round? DK's a little bit of an athletic freak, but I think it's fair to say he was never really the top receiver on this Ole Miss team. Sure. Uh, you know, he's just got a – he's got a rare, you know – blend of, of size and speed. I mean, you just flip on the Alabama game and see that one-handed catch on the 75-yard touchdown first play of the game. You kind of see, you know, what he has from a, a size-speed explosiveness um, situation. I compared him to Demarius Thomas. There's some there's some development still needs to take place there. I mean, I don't see him run every route uh, on the route tree, but in the meantime, I can, you can get him on slants, you can get him on goes, anything where he's staying on the move uh, because he is a little bit tight. Um, you've got a home run hitter who also can help you down the red zone with his size and physicality. Um, that's what uh, that's what you're going to like about him. Now, when you look at AJ, you know, living in the slot in there, it's a lot of a lot of bubbles or a lot of RPOs, uh, quick hitters. I love him uh, with the ball in his hands because he's so physical and tough. Um, he tracks the ball well over his shoulder. I saw some face-up drops, meaning he's facing the quarterback and. And a couple too many drops for me in those situations. But um, again, both those guys are going to require some development, just in terms of what they were asked to do. Uh, but AJ, to me, one of those uh, bigger slot receivers we've seen kind of become the rage, even though he's not six, you know, six three, but he's 220 plus pounds and big and strong and physical in there. Uh, I think he'll have a uh, he'll have a smooth transition. Awesome, thanks, DK. Yep. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Tom Green of AL.com. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel. Uh, I know you touched on Jared Stidham earlier, but I was just wondering what you felt he really needed to show at the Combine this week. And then also wanted to ask about one of his targets at Auburn, uh, wide receiver Darius Slayton, and just your general thoughts on him. Sure. Um, kind of start here on uh, on Slayton. Going through my notes here. Here he is. Um, you know, on Slayton, outside guy, did a nice job getting off the line of scrimmage, a little stutter release. He did a nice job of uh, uh, adjusting to the ball on his back shoulder. You know, one of the things which will get me to Stidham, there's a lot of plays on here when you watch him where he's uncovered, uh, but unfortunately the ball doesn't make it to him. So I think there's some upside with him um, beyond what you see. I think there's more there uh, with Stidham. Uh, to me, just being more consistent. You know, he can make special throws you know, on the move and, and drive the ball. It's just making the layups, being more consistent with the simple things, um, which to me at the combine is not the greatest place to display that. You're throwing to a bunch of guys you don't know. Uh, that's something he'll have a chance at his pro day, throwing with his guys. Um, just be, you know, he needs to have one of those workouts where everything's just is smooth and easy and don't make the easy things hard uh, because he can flash the ability to make the hard things easy. Appreciate it. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Mark Emmert of Des Moines Register. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel. I wanted to get your thoughts on the two uh, Iowa defensive players that are at the combine, uh, Amani Hooker and Anthony Nelson. What do you think they uh, project right now, and what can they do to help themselves in Indy? Uh, 
Sure. Um, I'll start with Nelson. You know, obviously you start with kind of that big frame that he has, um, that size, the effort is, is outstanding. Um, pull up the rest of my notes here. I wrote down Isaac Rochelle. If you remember, I get a chance to see him with Chargers, but uh, that's the player reminded me of coming out of Notre Dame. He's a 4-3 in. He can widen and bowl. He doesn't have that elite burst. Plays up on his toes um, a little bit, but to me, you know, you look at fits, teams that, that play with that big five-technique end that you want to kind of hold the point of attack, and then hopefully you get, you know, some upside there with him, giving you a little bit of pass rush as well. Um, that's something that I think he brings to the table grade-wise. I kind of have him in that fourth-round range um, is where I see him there. And then the – was it Hooker was the other one, right? Uh, Hooker is yep, – yep. find him on my list here. I know he's a big – he plays down low. He can play over the slot. Now that big nickel, uh, he's at his best when you kind of let him float and he can just use his instincts and, and make plays. I wrote down in my notes he almost looks bored when he's playing as the high safety. He likes to kind of be down there in the action uh, and mix it up, uh, get involved in the run game a little bit there with some physicality. So uh, to me, again, I kind of have him as he's going to be a special teamer. He's going to be somebody that makes your team as the third or fourth safety and hopefully kind of grow into more than that. Uh, with the ability to kind of play in that role. I don't know if you want him running around with slot receivers, but a lot of teams will play with that big nickel and, and kind of let him float underneath and be a force player. That's where he's most comfortable. Thank you. Our next question is coming from John McGonigal of Center Daily Times. Your line is now open. Hey, DJ. Thanks for your time today. Um, two Penn State players who – you know, surprisingly left early were offensive lineman Ryan Bates and D-lineman Kevin Givens. Have you had a chance to look at those two guys? And then I know you mentioned Miles Sanders earlier as a pass catcher, but what do you think about his running style? Sure. Uh, I'll start uh, with Bates. Uh, you yeah, have watched all those guys. Left tackle, um, average foot quickness, more of a position blocker in the run game. He's late with his punch. Um, he'll open up his gate a little bit. He's just raw and developmental. Um so to me, he's kind of in that fifth, sixth round range, you know, if you're kind of trying to guess this early on in the process where somebody like that can go. Um, and then I know I did Givens here, too. Hold on one second. Um, where is he? Givens was it edge or was he inside guy? He played primarily defensive tackle, but he also flipped out to the edge against Wisconsin, Iowa, some other run-heavy teams. Yeah, here he is, Kevin Givens. Um, three technique, he got swallowed up a little bit. I thought he played small, didn't see a lot of power. Uh, I thought the e e uh, effort was average and collected some garbage sacks. So, um, you know, I kind of gave him a practice squad developmental type grade uh, to me. So I did not have him as a draftable player. So uh, that's where I was on him. And then Miles Sanders, you know, just going back to him, Man, what, what are you going to do? I mean, it's not his fault he was stuck behind Saquon Barkley. He is a, he's a really, really good player. And talking to teams around the league, they're fired up about him. Um, you know, the burst, he's got lateral quickness, he's, he's loose. Uh, you see him in pass protection, which is nice to see. He can anchor down. Had one, uh, one mental error that I saw, but other than that, was solid in that area. And he's just got some real burst on, you know, 215 pounds, and he can scoot. So uh, he's somebody that's... Uh, you know, ceiling-wise, it wouldn't shock me if he fought his way into the second round if he kind of aced the test from here to the draft. Thank you. 
Thank you. Our next question is coming from Alex Halstead of 247 Sports. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel. I wanted to ask uh, kind of a two-part for Iowa State. You talked about Hakeem Butler earlier. What are uh, what do scouts or NFL personnel want to see from a 40-time from a guy like that? And then I don't know if you've seen cornerback Brian Peavy from Iowa State, but you know a guy that graded out well but is a little undersized. Uh, if you haven't seen him, what does a five foot nine corner have to do to to make a team? Yeah, I'll I'll start with the last one there. I have not I have not done the corner yet, um, but when you're when you're a corner that's that undersized, um, you got to have special traits. So when I think of special traits, speed, uh, ball skills, uh, some real twitch and maybe a little edge to you. Um, you look at guys that have been short that have found a way to find roles. Nikel Roby Coleman's one with the Rams who I think he, he didn't even get drafted. He ran in the four threes. Um, but he's been able to hang around the NFL because he has that explosiveness. Um, so that's something you're looking for. Anytime with any undersized player, you got to have something You got to have something to overcome that. It's like a running back that's 200 pounds and is, is a high 4'6". That's tough to sell, man. Like if you're if you're an undersized guy, you got to have a little magic to you no matter what position you're playing. Uh, when you go back to, to Butler – any time that any any time that the second number is the five would be a huge win for him. You know, if he runs anywhere in the four five range, uh, that would be great. Even in the low four sixes, uh, at his size, you know, you'd be uh, you'd feel okay there. So that that'll be something to keep an eye on with him. More so even than the top end speed, because he's a strider. He'll build up speed. I imagine might surprise us with the forty. I want to see you know change of direction. Let's watch what he does in shuttle drills. Let's see how he does running routes. Uh, can he get in and out of the break? Thank you. Our next question is coming from Braden Johnson of 247 Sports. Your line is now open. Hey, Daniel, I appreciate you doing this. Our Washington State guys, you've already mentioned Andre Dillard and James Williams. I'm just curious about your thoughts on Gardner Minshew. What does he need to do this week at the Combine to give himself a shot to be drafted? And then do you have him potentially hearing his name called in April's draft? Oh, yeah, I have a draftable grade on him. I mean, he's he, – I actually did more work on him the other day, and he was – man, he's fun to watch. He's like he, – a little bit of a poor man's Baker Mayfield. He's frenetic. He's energetic. He's always bouncing around. I was trying to come up with a comp for him, and I, I tweeted out the other day. It was like, this looks like Scott Skiles when he was playing in the NBA, like this little ball of energy. Uh, but he's a point guard. You know, everything is uh, – you know, he's he's accurate, especially underneath intermediate – He's got a quick mind. You see him work through with progressions well. Uh, arm strength just average, size just average. Um, but he's somebody I know. Talking to the folks, got to be around him at the Senior Bowl. That uh, they just love being around him. Uh, he's he's the kind of guy you want in the building. And uh, absolutely, I think he's. Uh, I think he'll get drafted. I, mean, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be opposed. Somebody decided to do that in the in the fifth round. I think you've got somebody that's got some skills you can work with there going forward. So. He's a he's a fun one to watch. Washington State, uh, you know, who who knew Washington State would uh, would have the top tackle? In my opinion, with the top tackle in the draft, used to be we tried to avoid you know offensive linemen from the air raid, but uh, they've done a nice job of finding this kid and developing him. And Dillard's a big time dude. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Ron Counts of Charlottesville Daily Progress. Your line is now open. Hey, DJ, I'm curious about uh, Virginia DB Juan Thornhill. Given he was productive at both corner and safety, how do you see it ultimately impacting where he falls in the draft? 
And most guys have had him as a second to fourth round grade. What does he need to do this week to kind of get to the high end of that grade? Well, I mean, look, the 40 is more important for the corner position than any other position in football. You know, you can get away with – I show you a long list of, of – uh, of receivers that have run slow that have been really successful. It's a much shorter list of corners that have run slow and had long, productive careers. So uh, that's a number that scouts put more into. I didn't say even the workout for corners is more important than it's ever been because you just don't get a chance to see these guys play all the techniques that you're going to see at the NFL level at the combine. It's kind of the first opportunity you get to put them through the paces. So as with any of these corners, the, the 40 will be big for him. But you start with somebody with, with position flexibility, um, and Billy, I think, could be one of those big nickels, could drop down there and do that, as well as be your high safety in a pinch, uh, can play outside a corner. There's a lot of things he can do. Um, and to me, I, you know, I don't see him in that first-round range, but you start getting into me more in that third-round range is a sweet spot. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Scott Kepger of the Greenville News. Your line is now open. Scott, can I check your mute function, please? Hello, Daniel. Uh, it yep. looks like Clemson will have. It looks like Clemson will have three surefire first rounders in uh, in the defensive linemen. But I wanted to ask you about um, their corner who kind of showed out in the title game, uh, Trayvon Mullen. What do you like? Not like about him? And do you think what do you, what do you think of his chances of maybe sneaking into the first round? Yeah, you know he's. Uh, you know I talked about Greedy Williams being a tough evaluation. Uh, Mullen's another one that's just tough because this year. He wasn't challenged much. I mean, you watch the Alabama game, and that's the shining moment. You see the pick in uh, in the sack in that game. Um, you know, I play a lot of press coverage this year. I see a little bit of tightness. Uh, we have to open up. Last year, I went back and watched 17 tape because we just didn't get challenged this year. And you see him more in off coverage. Uh, showed the ability to do some of that. So um, height, weight, speed, um, you like what you see there. He's just somebody that's tough to get a feel for. And, again, he's another one like Greedy Williams. Talk to teams around the league, and they're split on, on Mullen with where they have him. But I do think, you know, would he go in the bottom of the first round? If he runs really, really well, and I think he will test well, um, that wouldn't shock me if he ran his way into the bottom of the first round. But to me, I have him more kind of in that second-round range. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Brooke Pryor of the Kansas City Star. Your line is now open. Hey, DJ. Thanks for answering so many questions today. Uh, the Chiefs have a lot of work to do on the defensive side of things, but who are some offensive guys, maybe linemen, running backs, or wide receivers that the Chiefs could be looking at in the middle to late rounds? Okay, cool. That's a good question. Um, you know, when you look at running backs in the middle rounds, there's a lot of really good options um, that, that you can look at. It's kind of just what you you know, what flavor do you want? Uh, some guys that I'm, I'm a big fan of, um, you know, when you look at Justice Hill from Oklahoma State, who's one of the smaller guys with big-time juice, just ultra-twitched up, um, he's a home run hitter in the backfield. Then you've got um, somebody like Reichwell Armstead from Temple, who's going to carry 220-plus pounds and has the, uh, you know, has that acceleration in the hole, no hesitation, um, just hits it. He is a tough physical runner uh, who I like. So that's kind of the small back. That's a little bit of the bigger back. And then Jalen Moore, who I'm going to be biased about, is, is from App State, who's got hurt this year, coming off of an injury. 
but some of the best balance you'll see of any running back in this draft can make you miss. You just watch him against Penn State in that game to open the season, spinning off tackles, making people miss, lowering his shoulder, um, had a late touchdown in that game that uh, that almost won the game. So he's uh, he's another one that's it's real interesting in those middle rounds. So there'll be a lot of options there. I should mention Elijah Holyfield as well, um, who is is a fun player to watch from Georgia. Obviously, Evander Holyfield's son. And talking to some folks down there, at Georgia, they said, you know, if, if you came out to our practice and we told you that there's one kid on the field whose dad was the heavyweight champion of the world, it wouldn't take you 30 seconds to figure out who it is. Um, just with the way he plays. So uh, those are some really, really good options there in the middle rounds. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Jay Morrison of The Athletic. Your line is now open. Yeah, hi, Daniel. What's going on? Hey, I wanted to see if I could ask you a couple Cincinnati-centric questions here. Uh, first, a running back from this area, David Montgomery. You just nudged him into your top 50. I know the knock on him's kind of been the, the top end speed. Wondering if he runs well in Indy, if, if you think he could get into that first round area. And uh, secondly, more Bengals specific uh, of, of the tackles, offensive tackles that you have first round grades on. Are, is there one that would kind of land himself better to be in a, a right tackle for a year or two and then switch into the left side? Sure. Um, you know, I'll start with the, the tackle position first. Um, to me, a guy who makes a lot of sense, who I think um, could hold up, initially be an awesome right tackle, I think might even develop into being a really good left tackle, is Jawan Taylor from Florida. Um, he's, he, is, he can handle speed in pass protection. He can redirect easy in the run game. He's got some serious torque uh, to be able to latch on and, and turn and dump guys. So uh, he's a really, really good football player who always played on the right side, and I think has the ability to eventually, if you needed him to, I think he could survive over there on the left side. And with David Montgomery, David Montgomery runs in the four fours. I have no problem if somebody decides that they want to take him in the first round uh, because he has everything else, vision, patience, make you miss. You know, he can run you over. Um, he is he is a skilled, skilled running back. So to me, if, you know, the, the lack of top-end speed is the one knock, and if, uh, you know, sometimes we see these guys – as they go into this portion of the process, they see him lean up. Uh, it wouldn't shock me. I have him listed at 216 pounds. If he came in at you know 210 and uh, and really tried to help himself run and were to rip off a fast time, I think he belongs in that conversation. Great, thank you. Thank you. Our next question is coming from Brooks Kubina of the Advocate. Your line is now open. Hey, how's it going? Um, What's going on? I- you had mentioned earlier that tight end was a very deep uh, class this year. And, you know, just uh, I don't know if you've kind of looked at Foster Moreau and what his grade is for you in this draft. And, you know, you mentioned a little bit about running back, too. And, you know, in your in your mock, it seems like it's a little light. What, what do you think that is there? And if you have looked at Nick Brissett from LSU at all, uh, what your grades might be there? Sure. I heard I heard the Moreau part. You have to repeat the rest. It kind of cut out on me a little bit. Oh, sorry. I, I just saw that. It seems like running back is a little light in your view and uh, yeah. on the draft, and uh, just if you had evaluated Nick Brissett at all at LSU. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I've done Brissett. I'll start with uh, with Foster Moreau, the tight end. Um, he's another one of the guys I've highlighted on my list. Is somebody that just if if I'm running a team, I want this guy on my team because he's just so tough and physical. You watch him on punt coverage; he's down there 
consistently one of the first guys down there racking up tackles. He's a little bit stiff as a route runner, but he's a dominant uh, in the run game. He's just physical. I mean, he's just, oh, man, I wrote down Macho Man on my paper because uh, this dude is just throwing dudes all over the place. Uh, so he's one of my favorite players to watch in the draft. He's going to be a mid-round pick. Uh, to me, fourth, fifth round. But he's somebody that you just you want those types of guys on your team. He's going to help on special teams as well. Uh, with Brissett, breaks a lot of arm tackles, runs hard. Um, just didn't see a lot of wiggle. Um, you know, I just you know that that was a little bit of my concern. How much burst does he have? How, how elusive is he? Uh, those are some of the knocks there. Uh, he is effective as a cut blocker in the pass game. And you know, look to find a guy that carries 220 pounds and runs hard. There's always going to be a place for him. So. I have him kind of in that uh, that fifth fifth round type range. Thank you.